0: Good morning, and with my colleagues, Judge Bybee and Judge Desai, welcome to the Ninth Circuit. We have two cases on the argument uh, calendar today. We will be taking a short recess after the first case on the argument calendar. Uh, we will uh, take up, uh, there are a number of cases that we have submitted on the briefs. Uh, Orozco, Bissozo v. Garland, A. v. Builder v. Houston Casualty, uh, Nasri versus United States are all submitted. Uh, With that, we'll take up the first case on the argument calendar, Trump v. Twitter.
1: Good morning, Your Honors. Uh, I'm Alex Kaczynski, and I represent President Donald J. Trump and all the other plaintiffs in this case other than Dr. Naomi Wolf, uh, who is separately represented by Scott Street um, Mr. Street has graciously seated me all his time, so I'll be speaking. Tally. I also want to acknowledge at council table uh, my colleague Marie Feyala, who is really the brain trust of this uh, team, and uh, I would like to introduce her to the court and I'll commend her. Um, so uh, I'd like to spend as little time as possible on what is nominally the threshold question of mootness, Um, We've briefed it. Uh, We don't think the uh, Twitter's come anywhere close to showing mootness, but it doesn't matter. We know for a fact that uh, two of our plaintiffs, uh, uh, Mr. Latella and Mr. Barbosa, have never had their accounts suspended. Uh, So it is
0: undisputed that uh, those two plaintiffs are still suspended as we sit here.
1: That's right. And there's been no uh, suggestion of mootness as to them. So, the case will have to reach the merits. And um, my suggestion would be to do as Missouri versus Biden did, relying on Ramsell versus Fair, says in the First Amendment case, uh, you only need one plaintiff of standing. In this case, you only need one plaintiff uh, as to whom it's not moot. Uh, mootness, in any case, uh, fact intensive inquiry. They claim they've changed, had a change of policy, they claim that. Uh, Uh, This was a business decision. Uh, We don't have any discovery. We don't have any way of questioning that. Uh, The prudent thing to do here is to find the case is not moot as to two of the parties, and then, of course, I think you should remand, uh, reverse and remand, and then let the matter of mootness be sorted out by the district court. Since we're
0: we're talking about the prudent thing to do, you're still advancing the uh, SSMCA claim? Uh, the, social, the Florida social media statute claim? I believe so, yes. So, uh, given the Supreme Court's uh, cert grant last Friday in the net choice cases, uh, is there any reason why we shouldn't wait to decide this case until we see what the Supreme Court does?
1: Oh, there's no reason for you to this, uh, to uh, rule on those at all. Uh, our... our um... Uh, the cases were not dismissed on the merits of the uh, of the two statutes. Uh, one was based on an interpretation of the statute, or the constitutionality of the statute, or with, uh, and one was based on um, uh, on um, choice of law questions. But isn't one of the you,
0: relevant questions here whether that statute is constitutional or not? And isn't that something the Supreme Court will be deciding in the next seven or eight months?
1: True enough, and if the case is back in District Court, and the Supreme Court says the statute is unconstitutional, it can be dismissed then, but there's certainly no reason to hold up the rest of the case to wait for a decision that's going to make no difference at this point at all.
2: Yeah, counsel, as long as we're on talking about the SSMCA um, question, I do have, I do have a, que- a question, and I certainly will be asking Mr. Holtzblatt the same question. Um, the district court uh, held on choice of, choice of law provisions that the FDUPTA uh, provision w- could not apply uh, in, in this case because California law applied. District court noted that the SSMCA that, count, that, um, uh, that Twitter had not uh, raised uh, the, the, cho- the choice of law provision, the, the form selection choice of law provision. Um, does the, does, do your opponents get to pick and choose which, which provisions uh, California law applies to and waive as to others?
1: I'm sorry, you're asking me.
2: I'm, I'm asking you because I'm, I'm I'm interested in knowing whether uh, whether if on, on a choice of law decision whether that means that both that both either do apply or both either do not apply, or whether we get to, or or whether the parties get to pick and choose um, which which provisions of California law they want to apply and which provisions they're willing to waive.
1: You got me there, Judge Bybee. I had not noticed the question, uh, the issue, and it seems important so I'm going to have to talk off the top of my head because uh, you found something I didn't recognize. Uh, but, yeah, it seems to me that there is a uh, uh, there should be consistency, but I'm not prepared to answer the consistency question. Perhaps Mr. Fleischer can. Uh, but, you know, my view on those statutes is we think that the, uh, the district court got it wrong on the grounds on which it ruled. If the statute later turns out to be unconstitutional, some hope, hope not be, but it might be, uh, then that can be taken care of at the time the case is back in district court. I can guarantee, I can guarantee, I can guarantee we will not have a judgment in the district court before the Supreme Court rules. So uh, the constitutionality question really should be of no particular concern. But if we thought
2: that the district court was correct on its choice of law analysis on the F. Dupta claim and we thought that there had to be consistency across choice of law. That is, we won't, allow, we won't allow parties to sort of pick and choose how choice of law works. That would be an alternative ground for deciding that without reaching the merits on the SSMCA question, wouldn't it?
1: I think that's right. Um, if I may move on to the merits of the uh, federal claims, we see this as a very simple case. Uh, we have made allegations, very broad, and yet quite specific allegations that there was a um, collaboration, coordination, coercion between the federal government agencies and Twitter and that as a result of that uh, our clients accounts were suspended and the accounts of those, and this is a class action, uh, of those class members who held similar views. Now. The District Court frauded us for not presenting more evidence or was unhappy with the evidence we presented, but we, on a complaint, the plaintiff does not need to present any evidence. All that we need are plausible allegations. Counsel,
0: on your coercion argument, uh, are you familiar with our relatively recent decision in Kennedy versus Warren?
1: I know it well.
0: So uh, I must
1: say that I was taken by the concurrence.
0: Well, you know, the majority wasn't. Um, so in the majority opinion, uh, how does the majority's view in Kennedy v. Warren of coercion, how does that affect uh, your arguments here uh, as to uh, coercion?
1: Well, uh, I don't think those views are inconsistent. Um, For one thing, uh, Kennedy v. Warren was a preliminary injunction case. So the standard there (laughs) was for the district court to predict the success on the merits and for this court to differentially uh, um, determine whether that determination was an abuse of discretion. That's a very different standard than we have here.
0: Well, Here. although the majority in the case basically said, with regard to all of the allegations of coercion that were made there, that the reason the district court got it right is essentially because as a matter of law, there's no there there, and—
1: You know, that was their view. That was not their holding. The the ruling is no abuse of discretion. Uh, Florid language in opinions are not holdings. I. if I may say, I thought the uh, concurrence had it right, that in fact, even on those facts, one could, given the benefit of the doubt, infer coercion. But that is not our standard here. The standard here is, have we made a plausible case? Have we made a plausible case? And of course, we presented considerably more than was the case in Warren. In Warren, uh, the Senator Warren uh, sent a letter it had no threats. it had no um uh, express um, um, promises of retaliation. It was a single senator uh and um uh, was not part of a committee hearing or anything of that sort uh here we have overt uh, threats we have public threats we have uh the executives of twitter and um and and other uh, um, social media companies being called in and being forced to say, promise me you're going to censor. Do you promise you're going to censor? And they had to say meekly yes, because, you know, we've all been in those chairs and those hearings and they're intimidating. And uh, again and again and again. So we have a much broader uh, set of facts. But once again, um, um, Judge Bennett, the In paragraph
2: paragraph 55, um, you have... Of uh, the complaint? Of the, of the uh, first amended complaint. Yes. The paragraph 55 is, is all your bullets uh, listing all of, the, um, of the, the parties who issued threats against you. Uh, by my count, you have two members of the House of Representatives, four senators, uh, statements from Vice President Harris, Vice President, uh, President Biden, um, and from uh, the President's uh, tech advisor, um, Bruce Reed, and then one from former First Lady Michelle Obama. Um, that's a very, very small group of Congress. That's why why, why do does, why does, why does, why does statements from, let's say, four senators at a committee, committee hearing all of a sudden commit all of the power of the federal government uh, to create state action here?
1: Well, as we have learned recently, a single congressman can uh, dethrone the Speaker of the House.
2: Right, so but the, that's an internal the matter Congress? to, the, to, to, the, to the House of Representatives. That's, that's, that's their rules, and that's not something we're going to get in the middle of. But this is, this is a question as to whether or not the First Amendment, the Equal Protection Clause, um, are self-executing, which are self-executing provisions can be enforced by the judiciary because a couple of members of Congress have, have, uh, have, have made some strong statements. That, that I, I don't know of any case that, that stands for that proposition, certainly not the coercion cases. Have you had, what's your best coercion case? Uh,
1: well, uh, encouragement we have got Missouri versus Biden. Yeah,
2: uh, and what if I don't? What if I don't accept it? What if I don't accept the Fifth Circuit's reading?
1: Well, I understand that uh, if you don't accept the circ- Fifth uh, Circuit's reading, then this should be the first case to do it. We have not had cases involving legislators, but. Legislators are no different from uh, any other government official. Oh, of I mean, course look, they look, are. Look that's a different the, branch at, of government, council. That's, that's an
2: Article I power, and they can only act in a collegial fashion.
1: Well, now look at the Second Circuit uh, opinion uh, in Okwede. Uh, there was a city manager. A city manager is both an executive and a, and a, um, a um, uh, quasi-legislative official. And the court, uh, this was an uh, opinion from the Second Circuit where Justice Sotomayor was on the panel, uh, said it is true that he does not have direct regulatory authority, but he can certainly make trouble for the plaintiffs. If he's going around um, doing what he's doing and sending the kind of letter he's sending, the question is not legislative, not executive, not particularly uh, uh, what their titles are. The question is, would somebody be reasonably uh, cowed by these kind of uh, statements? And when Nancy Pelosi makes speeches saying, we ought to shut down Section 230, uh, when they have congressional hearings where uh, the uh, CEOs of these companies are, are hauled in and told... Uh, Promise us, promise us that you will do more censoring, Uh, uh, they don't have to be able to pass legislation. That's not the test, and that was where the district court was mistaken. The threat is what matters. The threat is what matters. The question is, can a single senator—
2: But it's always been a threat by someone who had authority to follow through on what they said.
1: Well, These senators no, do not no, have; they, well, they can
2: they can, no, can follow through, no, no, but I mean, they've got to they've got to persuade a majority of the Senate, and then you have to get a majority of the House uh, to, to agree, and then signature by the President.
1: I'm sorry, but uh, that does not. I mean, first of all, it doesn't comport with our query. I mean, that, then you'd be creating a conflict with the Second Circuit. But
2: wait, uh, based on the city manager?
1: Yeah. The city managers. Uh, Have you got any other case
2: in which legislators made threats that uh, the court found coercion
1: other than Missouri versus Biden? What the court said is it is true that he had no direct authority. It is true that he had no direct authority, but uh, uh, Molinari had no direct authority, but Acquetti could reasonably believe that those, uh, what he said, he would make, uh, or the uh, actually not acquitted, uh, the billboard companies could reasonably believe that he could make trouble for them.
0: Is this, and is that this is the Staten Island
1: case?
0: Is this the Staten Island borough president case? Exactly.
1: Molinari. So Staten Island borough, uh, there were billboards, and uh, Molinari sent letters and uh, immediately the, the billboards were taken down, sent letters to the billboard companies. And the question presented- I, I, would,
0: I, would, I would just say that borough presidents have a lot of power, Well, a lot of individual power, a lot more than a city manager.
1: What's, may, I may have gotten my term wrong. Borough, Yes, uh, but what, uh, what the opinion said was he did not have direct Authority over the billboards, but it then said yes, but he can make difficulty, and they could reasonably believe they make difficulty. Uh, In this case, when you have powerful senators, particularly when they are on committees, particularly when they call hearings and they extract promises and they make uh, they make um, uh, 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 statements about how there has to be more censorship. This is America.
0: You have, a, should, you have a final should, point, should, counsel? Should you're, should you're, out of, be. you're out of time. Do you have a final point?
1: Uh, well, uh, I wanted to say a word or two about the motion to, uh, uh, for judicial notice. In our view, we're not trying to get any of that stuff in uh, for the truth or anything else, but remember the standard, the district court standard, the uh, standard applicable is unatomably. Did we make a plausible case? And plausibility is a question of whether the facts alleged in the complaint, in light of the whole world, in light of the real world, are, uh, in fact, uh, plausible. Make a case that if you're going to go out and get discovery, you're likely to find something. All right. Thank well, you, we counsel. Now, we now know what we would have found. We now know what we would have found, and the court should uh, consider that. Thank you. Yeah. Do I have any time for a bottle?
0: No. We... Uh, We'll we'll give you a couple of minutes. We took a lot of your time with questions.
1: Two minutes is uh, thank you for the grace.
3: Uh, May it please the court, Uh, Ari Holtzblatt for uh, appellees. I uh, would like to address the mutinous issue, but first I want to make an important point that I, I'm afraid might get lost if I don't make it uh, at the outset, which has to do with the timing of the relevant uh, course of conduct here. Um, Mr. Trump and all but two of the other plaintiffs only allege actions during the Trump administration. Uh, that makes this case actually very different than the Missouri v. Biden case, the Fifth Circuit case, and I think uh, presents The opportunity to to actually not have to to clash with uh, the questions that were presented in that case, because that case really was about executive action during the Biden administration. This case, and and the questions and the discussion that the court just had, I think, makes this clear, is really about uh, communications by legislators uh, to uh, the the companies and whether those legislative statements uh, are sufficient to establish state action when the companies act consistent with those with those actions. And Judge Bybee, uh, I think your question is exactly uh, on the, there is no, I, can, I know of no case that has ever found uh, state action uh, and, and allowed a claim against a private company. Even the Warren case was a claim against the government official, uh, but I, I know of no case finding state action and no case allowing a claim against a company based on statements Uh, of uh, individual legislatures, uh, certainly not ones like here where there's, uh, when you look closely at the statements, there are questions but no sanctions that are threatened, and the the legislators had no power to unilaterally impose sanctions.
0: Would your your argument be the same if, let's say, there were a joint letter uh, from the, the four leaders of both houses of Congress?
3: Uh, That would be a different case, as I'm sure Your Honor uh, recognizes. um, And I think it would depend on the nature of the content of the letter uh, and the nature of the conduct that it was demanding. Uh, I think actually the Warren, I'm sorry, the Warren case uh, identifies a number of different factors and and I don't think it makes the, the ability to impose the inability to impose sanctions unilaterally alone dispositive, but it makes that very significant. It also asks what is being asked, what's the tone of the letter, uh, what's the context of of the request. And so I could imagine. Uh, so
2: you're, you're, you're willing to concede that there might be coercive action if you had a, had a letter from the four leaders of the House and the Senate?
3: I, I'm willing to concede that that is far afield from what is presented here and, and would present a very different I mean, Council, this
2: seems to me to be a really dramatic extension of the state action doctrine if we would allow, um, if allow Congress to create um, legal obligations without acting as Congress. These, these are these are these are letters from four people. they may or may not represent their caucuses they may or may not have the votes to pass it. They may or may not have the ability to have the president sign it, but all of a sudden that's going to become state action and now the the, the Constitution is is judicially enforceable that, that looks like a huge land grab by us
3: I agree your honor uh, and and I think the court does not need to reach that question i all i'm saying is that i uh, I don't want to imagine every conceivable hypothetical under the sun where uh, it may be possible that uh, uh, legislators uh, have are referring to something that they do have more power over, but I, I do think that in the ordinary course, uh, and certainly in the ordinary context as presented here, that would be uh, uh, to use your honor's word, a, a land grab, and I, and I think there's an important piece of conduct, context which matters a great deal uh, here, which is that Uh, And and the full transcripts from these hearings are in the record. uh, And I think it's significant that the companies were hearing it from both sides. Some were arguing that more content should be left up. Others were arguing that more content should be taken down. Uh, Section 230 was being discussed by uh, and continues to be discussed to this day uh, by uh, members of both parties. And and there's a whole host of different uh, positions that people have taken. And I think it's especially dangerous in that context, where. Really, almost anything a, uh, a private actor might do could conceivably be consistent with something that's being demanded.
0: Counsel, before. Addri- oh. no, please.
2: Can you address Judge Bybee's uh, question uh, to your opposing counsel on the choice of law issue? Um, Twitter did not raise the choice of law um, provision in the terms of service to bar the claims for the SSMCA like it did for the other. Uh, statute. Why is that, and and shouldn't we be able to consider that regardless of whether or not um, you raise those issues?
3: Uh, <clears throat> thank you, thank you, Your Honor, and I do want to address that question. I, I mean, as a, as a preliminary matter, I think that would be a waived uh, argument since it was only brought up uh, an at, at argument. But even setting that aside, you're
2: arguing that it's waiver of the waiver. That that is because the other side didn't raise it. They that we we can't we can't ask you this problem.
3: You can certainly, I think, you can certainly ask me this problem, and obviously, waiver is waivable by the court. But I think it would be imprudent to waive it here. And I do, but I want to be candid about the. the I want to answer the question. Yeah, and, please answer the question. And, 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 and I think actually, the, the choice of law question under the two statutes is quite different. And, and, and to be candid with the court, uh, the, the kind of stat, the, 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 the unfair business practices act uh, for which t- Twitter raised a choice of law question—that's uh, a kind of statute that is common. Uh, in, in virtually all states, it's certainly common in California. There's a, a UCL that is essentially equivalent to the to the uh, Unfair Businesses Practices Act statute under which the claim is brought. In in Florida, uh, the, the the Stop Social Media Censorship Act is is a very unique statute, and it's one that there is no uh, obvious equivalent within California. And I, so, so, I think the choice of law the choice of law question all, when you have to analyze it for a court always is a a claim by claim question if it is raised, and I think it would have presented a very different uh, legal question between the two, and so it made sense to us to address, to raise it only for the claim that, uh, where there is an equivalent statute, uh, equivalent kind of statute in both.
2: But you invited the district court to find that it was unconstitutional. District court decided on slightly different grounds. But if the district court had held it unconstitutional uh, at, at, um, or if the district court had found it constitutional, do you then get to raise your choice of law analysis? Or have you now waived it?
3: Uh, I, I think, I think prob- probably as a practical matter, I, I, I haven't thought about the question. So I, I, if, if possible, I'd like to, to, to reserve a little wiggle room. But I think it would probably be waived um, for, because we hadn't raised it at the, at, the, at the
0: time we had raised our choice of so law. So then let me ask you the same question I asked your friend. Um, is there a reason in your view that we should hold this case until the supreme court decides the net choice cases
3: well I, I don't think there's any reason to to hold the whole case i think it would be relevant to the at most to the ssmca claim and the application of that statute that the plaintiffs are seeking in this case is retroactive application that was our principal or our lead argument below and the ground on which the district court decided that question so i think it is a statute that doesn't even apply to the conduct that's at issue here. And I think the the district court and this court can reach
2: that question without having to wait on the Supreme Court. I'll tell you why this bothers me, counsel. So it bothers me for this reason. District Court said, um, yeah, on the, on the uh, Unfair Practices Act, uh, a, this is a choice of law analysis, and that doesn't apply. And then he says, don't know why, but we haven't raised the choice of law with respect to the SSMCA. Given that there was an 11th Circuit um, opinion in in place, uh, it feels very manipulative. It, 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 feels, it, it feels like you're willing to go forward here because you think, you, you think you're going to win, uh, given the 11th Circuit's uh, analysis. But it feels very manipulative in this way, that, that parties that parties generally don't get to pick and choose which provisions of a foreign state's law uh, apply if there's a choice of law provision that they think bars some of those provisions. And that's, that's to prevent you from coming in and saying, well we want to invoke California law as to uh, the cause of action uh, but if we were to if we were to uh, to lose on that uh, we want uh, we, we want the limitation on damages provision from from Florida to apply and we waive we waive any objections to Florida uh, limitation on damages uh, um, apply so it feels very very manipulative of the court to kind of pick and choose your choice of law provisions
3: well i I guess I respectfully I respectfully disagree your honor and and, and i think i 've tried to explain why, which is the, there are the choice of law question uh, and whether or not the the choice of law provision is enforceable is evaluated on a claim by claim basis, and so we have a, a duty to make judgments about whether we think that the that choice of law analysis is going to come out in a way where the, the choice of law provision would be enforceable, and we think it was correctly enforceable as to the...
0: Your, your, your view is that everybody has uh, some version of a UDAP statute, and uh, since everybody has one, Californ- the California interest vis-a-vis its own UDAP equivalent statute is different than a circumstance where California has nothing like the S.F. Uh, SSMCA, if I have the acronym right, and uh, so its interests in having that uh, in play or not in play are way different than where it has its own UDAP statute.
3: That's exactly right, Your Honor, and I don't think we should be forced to waive our ability to assert the choice of law as to the one where there's an equivalent statute simply because we've made a judgment that there's a different legal question as to the other other type so, of claims. So you
2: have or haven't waived the choice of law argument with respect to the SSMCA? I, I, I think I'm, I'm, I'm I
3: actually am fine waiving the, the choice of law as to the SSMCA. I think it is a genuinely different legal question, and it's not one that we asserted at the district court. I think what's important is that there is a, a, a clear uh, application of, of standard choice of law principles as to the uh, to the unfair business practice act, and the district court was correct uh, in uh, in, in deciding that question. Um, Your Honors, I, I want to address, um, if I can, uh, two other issues that were that came up during the prior argument. One, why does it matter? Why does the mutinous issue uh, matter? Uh, and, and I think it matters because uh, as this court's o- O'Hanley decision, as the Warren decision, as really all the state action decisions make clear. This is really uh, the, the relevant question is whether the specific conduct that is at issue was, was uh, can be deemed state action. And so we have to look at the nature of this, the statements and the timing of the, the conduct that's being challenged. Uh, the question of whether or not uh, Mr. Trump's account was suspended uh, as a result of state action, I think, is potentially a different question, or at least draws in uh, different different. Uh, questions than than any other individual. There was a certain context around that, and so I think uh, there is a claim by claim analysis. And so yes, I think it matters that there is mootness as to um, uh, certain of the of the plaintiffs, and 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 we're, we're not as certain mootness as the others. I also think the pleadings question is one that um, is. Uh, is really resolved by the court's O'Hanley decision. The O'Hanley was decided on a motion to dismiss. Uh, the relevant statements that were claimed to be coercive or, or entwined were before the court, and the court was able to analyze whether or not that those statements, that conduct of the government, uh, could give rise to the necessary uh, uh, standard to, to establish state action under this court's uh, doctrine. I think that we can do the same here. The, the plaintiffs have put forward the, the particular statements that they are concerned about, uh, and uh, and and they're not uh, sufficient. Uh, and 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 with respect to mootness, um, the uh, you know the plaintiffs have um, uh, received what we think was the core remedy they, they sought. They've been reinstated. Uh, w- w- there have been. You uh,
2: agree that two of the plaintiffs' accounts have not been reinstated, correct?
3: We're not arguing that those, the, that those two plaintiffs' claims are moot. And,
2: and, and those two plaintiffs are seeking injunctive relief. They are correct. seeking,
3: that is correct, Your Honor. Uh, but, but we've, we've we filed a motion to dismiss, and, and we can move to dismiss against individual plaintiffs and their individual claims. And, and so we do think the First Amendment claims of the remaining uh, plaintiffs are, uh, are moot and, and can be disposed of uh, at, at this stage. Or if we went back to the district court, uh,
2: should properly be disposed of. There, they've been reinstated. Yeah, well, what do we do with the with the CEO statement? Which which one you're on the the recent the recent statement. So the, the the accounts have been restored, but Twitter has announced uh, that it will reserve the right to suspend uh, accounts going going forward. Uh, that um, and it is was posted on the on the on Twitter's uh, website, and it was a statement issued by. All right.
3: Yeah, yes, Your Honor. Thank you. Uh, so, uh, I, and we're not arguing that there have been, and in fact, I, to update the court, I know the, the, the particular policies that triggered these the, the suspensions uh, here have not been applied against these plaintiffs, but there there have been standard, ordinary content moderation actions taken. And, and our argument about moodness is not that there's never going to be any content moderation against the particular plaintiffs. The, this is a state action claim. And so the, the question is whether or not uh, there is... Uh, State action that would lead to the suspension of these individual plaintiffs, and if there isn't a suspension in the future, then that would be a new claim, and, and the plaintiffs would be free to bring it saying we, we've now identified what we think is state action causing this new suspension, uh, but we don't think the fact that there might, that there's ongoing content moderation as there, as the, you know twi- Twitter I'm referring to Twitter for convenience, but obviously X you know, has, has its own rules. Uh, and continues to enforce them uh, uh, as all platforms uh, do, but but there's obviously a new direction at at the company and and these individuals have been reinstated and we think that gives the plaintiffs the primary relief uh, they've been seeking. Uh, With my last five seconds, uh, I'll just say, this is I think an extraordinary uh, circumstance where uh, the Supreme Court has made clear there needs to be a zone of uh, private liberty that is not intruded on by the state action doctrine, and that's why the Court has always emphasized it's an incredibly high bar to establish state action. If the Court has no
0: further questions, I will sit down. Thank you, Counsel. Thank you, Your Honors. All right, Counsel, you have two minutes. Uh,
1: Judge Bobby, the complaint is not limited to legislators. Look at page, uh, paragraph 10 of the complaint, ER 327. Defendants, the de- platform plaintiffs, and the class members, they behest uh, in cooperation with the approval of Congress and the execu- executive branch.
2: Yeah, and I, and I mentioned I mentioned up front that there was statements by the president, the vice president, and by Bruce Reed, the technical advisor. That
1: is evidence. And we're not required to present any evidence. That's an allegation. And all we have to do is show that this is a plausible allegation. Now, if you go into the 90s, like paragraph 96 of the complaint, we also complain about uh, actions by the executive branch. But we don't have to prove our case before discovery, uh, before we've engaged issues. What we have to do is state a viable claim. And this court has said again and again and again, the Supreme Court has said, if there is entwinement, if there's sufficient entwinement between the government and um, uh, and, uh, and a private party, uh, be it coercion or uh, entanglement or whatever, Uh, In that case, uh, there can be state action and the uh, the private party can be held responsible. We do not have to present evidence before the complaint. That's not how it works. The way it works is they answer, they have to deny things, which they haven't yet denied, uh, except uh, deniers have made that, oh, we don't engage in any uh, uh, collaboration with anybody. But we know that's false. We know that's false. It's all come out since then. The Twitter files, the uh, Missouri versus Biden uh, facts, uh, and uh, so engaging the possibility at paragraph 10, and this is what the court has to look at, and there is more, but I'm just pointing paragraph 10 because it does point to both Congress and the executive branch. We have to have made a case that's plausible. It's not crazy. We're not saying the moon is made out of cheese. Uh, We're not saying uh, gravity doesn't exist or the earth is flat. We're making a claim that what happened here, what we claimed happened here and what we could prove if we got discovery is that uh, the government was all over Twitter, all over them. And we now know they had an office in the, the, uh, they have offices there.
0: Thank you, counsel. We have your argument. Purity
1: clearances. Thank you.
0: Uh, We thank counsel for their arguments, and the case just argued is submitted. Uh, With that, we will take a short five to ten minute recess. Thank you.